How's it going? It's fixing to be a lot better, man. Welcome back to Dazed and Confused 33 and a Third. I'm Jarf, and I'm so excited. We're here. We're at track 33. And our guest this week is the co-host of Time Bandits... Sorry, Time Bandits Minute, Curtis Blaze. Welcome, Curtis. I'm so I'm so glad to be on the show. I was really looking forward to it for all this time. That's awesome to hear. Well, we are happy to have you, and it is a super special episode as our final track. But just as a programming note, listeners, don't delete this show from your podcast feed. Don't delete it yet. Because we've got some awesome bonus tracks already planned, and they're going to start coming out after this. There'll be more details about that at the end of the show, but we wanted to really celebrate this last track, but we're going to do some extra episodes on other Linklater films and you know continue the discussions that we started here. So more in store for you there, but first, we've got to cover Slow Ride. And this track starts with Mitch trying to sneak back into his bedroom. It goes through Wooderson, Pink, Simone, and Slater, speeding down the early morning highway, and right through the end credits. So I know that you, Curtis, were in particular excited to talk about the credits. So I'm very curious to hear what that is about. But let's start with the song. Because you posed a very interesting question, which is a little bit of a different way of looking at how the song is used. And you suggested the hypothetical. If this movie was made in 76, how would they have approached the soundtrack differently? So just taking it as a one-to-one for Slow Ride. And if they were making it in 76 and just drawing from contemporary music rather than having the benefit of hindsight, what song might they have used in place of Slow Ride? And just to give it some context, I thought I would just give you the top 10 singles from Billboard Magazine's Top 100 for 1976. So, 10. A Fifth of Beethoven this is, by Walter Murphy and the Big Apple Band. So, you know, already coming in hot. Nine, Love is Alive, Gary Wright. Eight, 50 Ways to Leave Your Lover, Paul Simon, solid. Seven, Love Machine, The Miracles. Six, Kiss and Say Goodbye, The Manhattans. Five, Play That Funky Music, Wild Cherry. Four, December 1963, or as I think what everyone thinks of it as, Oh, What a Night oh, what by The a Four night. Seasons. Three, Disco Lady, Johnny Taylor. Maybe I would know that if I hear it, heard it, but I don't recognize that. Two, Don't Go Breaking My Heart, a.k.a. the perennial karaoke song by Elton John and Kiki D. And number one, Silly Love Songs by Wings. So you don't have to limit yourself to just that top 10 because for context... Slow Ride is 85 on the list. So I kind of figured any big song from 76 was fair game. Maybe for the way that you were thinking about it, something maybe that at least ranked higher than Slow Ride. But what 
what do you think would play over these last minutes in the credits in your scenario? Boy, you know, it just makes you wonder about the whole tone of the movie. Looking at the uh, the top albums of 1976, Slow Ride is right in the pocket of that sort of like popular rock songs that have persisted through time to uh, to uh, be a song we all remember. Yep. If they were actually picking it as they were making the movie, if they're making this movie in 1976, man, I don't even, I don't know if, I, I don't think any of these top songs would have even made it. Even the top 100 songs would have made it. I think they would have hired someone <laughs> I, yep. I think they would have hired someone to just write some songs as they did in the 70s and there would be and and maybe there would be some song that made it through the ages like uh, uh moving in stereo did for for uh fast times at ridgemont high you know that got popular because of the movie but mm-hmm. i don't think we would know any of the songs at this point the one the one to me off this list off the top 100 of uh, of Billboard for 1976 would be, obviously to me, a dramatic pause. Where is it? Love hurts. I think love hurts would be would make this soundtrack and possibly be even be this uh, this credit song. Just because it's that it's got that kind of slow rock groove thing happening. Well, it was used earlier in the film. Okay. So you're so you're on the mark there. But when I was thinking of or Dreamweaver songs for I'm the sorry. final moment, yes, Dreamweaver was one of the that was my number two because I was trying to think of something more up tempo, yeah, to try to get a closer match to what they're looking for vibe wise. So with you on Dreamweaver, my number one was play that funky music. I think that has like yeah closer to the right beat. I I you know well that's that's kind of the thing isn't it when you look at uh when you look at other movies from the time period like popular movies from 1976 hard to think of some but <laughs> in that time <laughs> in that era you had um smoking the bandit right mm-hmm. which just stay with me here when you when you look at that soundtrack they had like some sort of country disco like everything was a disco fusion back then Yes. It was sort of country disco. It was disco rock. It was light easing, light, <laughs> light listening disco. So, yeah, that uh, that song, I think, would have made it. Possibly some other ones, too. Uh, you know, things that were popular at the time. Afternoon Delight. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> because it's kind of about making love. And it's kind of a and it's kind of a slow ride moot kind yeah, of yeah, just like slow ride. Yeah, yeah. I had one last one that's a nightmare scenario. Oh my god, go! <laughs> that was "Time of Your Life" by Paul Anka. Oh, interesting. Yes, I bet I in 1976 that... they would have totally made a literal song like that happen. Yes, and oh, I could imagine them doing that, especially the part in the credits where they have the little American graffiti-esque, you get to see a little snippet of the character again. Yeah. And I think that that, with time of your life over top of it, would be just like the antithesis of what Linklater wanted out of the tone of this movie. And it would just be like a saccharine tearjerker 
So, yeah, that's why that was my nightmare scenario. Yeah, well, he had 15 minutes. He had 15 years. 15 years? Is that right? No, he had uh, 17 years to figure out what the good songs were that everyone remembered listening to. Yes, yeah. And also, I mean, in was... 1976, teenagers were totally listening to A Fifth of Beethoven and Take It to the Limit and Lots of Eagles and I Write the Songs by Barry Manilow. But they wanted to remember themselves being cool and just listening to Slow Ride. Yeah. So you said that you wanted to talk about the credits. Well, it isn't that I wanted to talk about the credits necessarily. It's that it's that the credits give you the opportunity to kind of talk about the whole movie. Gotcha. You know what I mean? Was there a moment in this scene that spoke to you? Well, okay. Yes, for sure. It was, and let me just look up his name here. It was when Mitch was trying so hard to pretend not to be drunk. <laughs> that is so convincing. That is just basically me. That was so real. That's me in junior high. I, you know, coming home drunk. My mom, you know, knew I was drunk. And she kept me standing next to the kitchen counter, holding myself up on it, just wasted, asking me questions, you know, and saying things like, are you sure you're not drunk? You know, really, really drawing it out or at least it seemed like she was drawing it out a lot and i was exactly i know exactly how mitch was feeling just staying there going no what are you talking about of course i'm not drunk Uh." (laughs) 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 junior high just a drunk junior high kid trying to get away with it thinking he's getting away with it and that look on mom's face that look on uh mrs uh whatever mitch's mom's face (laughs) was Exactly what was probably on my mom's face at the time. Yeah, she's like, I am not buying this for a second. But what are you going to do? Sit there and uh, start haranguing your kid as he's drunk? No, you're just gonna you're just gonna do it tomorrow. But I mean, that brings up a thing about mom. She's just so cool in this whole scene. You're expecting, you know, you've really been built up that he's going to be in in huge trouble when he gets home. There's all this tension about him walking in. And, uh, you know, what his sister said earlier about mom not letting anyone get away with it. And, you know, you're a mm-hmm. heart. And she just kind of lets him go. Like, this is the last day of school, and I'm just letting this one go. This year. But that's the only the only freebie he gets. Yeah. I mean, I did, since you raise it, I did wonder about that. And if they went the other way, it would just be a bummer of an end to the movie. But... I wondered about the logic of giving him the get out of jail free and, hey, I hope you enjoyed it. Oh, what was your, what are you uh, thinking about? Does that really, does it give him any kind of disincentive to not do this again? Well, you know, I don't know. Have you ever raised any kids? No. So once you have a, uh, I'm on. I'm on my second high schooler now. Once I get to once I get to middle school, if you try to keep the clamp down really hard, all you're going to be doing is pushing them away. Mhm. So, you know, her logic of this is your one time, I feel like that's a a pretty good strategy actually because then the next time she has license and he knows it, we've discussed this. This is your one time. The next time mm-hmm. he knows he's already used his one time. And so it's kind of okay for him to get in trouble at that point. If you see what I'm saying, like, like he would be less, this isn't fair because she has been. Right. Fair. Right. Right. 
Yeah, that makes sense. I think it's a, I think it's a good strategy. It's not a disincentive, but I mean, you know, if all you're going to do is just smack them around every time they do something wrong, then all you're doing is creating someone that's afraid of you that just wants to get away. Right, right. Okay, well, I didn't say anything about smacking them around. That was a real <laughs> escalation, just for the record, listeners. Well, we're talking about 1976 parents here. Yes, yeah. <laughs> Right. Because smacking around was totally a thing. Yeah. My mom and it would come, my it mom would had a two by paddling. Four. Oh, I'm sorry, go on. It would bookend the paddling. Oh yeah. Well, I mean, speaking of the paddling, that's funny. My mom had a two by four, right? That had a handle cut in it with a le- like a leather strap. And then it had a pad on one end. And these things were marketed to people. You could just go to the store and buy them so that you could spank your kids without bruising them. Wow. That was just the seventies, you know? Yeah. Harsh. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, so you gave us a little glimmer of your high school days with you trying to pull off the Mitch Kramer, like, I'm not drunk. Oh, no, oh. no, no, no. Junior high, so, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> junior high, okay. That was seventh grade. That was seventh grade. <laughs> uh, okay, cool. Well, so let's dig a little bit deeper into junior high and high school. If they made a movie about those junior high, high school days of yours, what song would play on the soundtrack in your version of this scene? Well, you know, what a question. What would it be? My problem is, is that I was a nerd that liked so much, so many different pieces of music. Like if it was about Mm -hmm. my life in seventh grade, it would be like the Indiana Jones soundtrack (laughs) and the Temple of Doom soundtrack. But if it was about all of us, like collectively as we were. Well, maybe this is a way to look at it. So so they're heading off to get Aerosmith tickets, right? Top priority of the summer. Right, right. The summer before their senior year. Oh, I know. I, so it, what was your top priority of the summer, summer before senior year? Okay, well, we didn't go to see concerts because we were so far away from everything in Northwest Iowa. Okay. I think the song... That uh, we would close the movie on about life. It, my life in high school would be "Oh Yeah" by The Color Yellow. Is that the one from Secret of My Success? That's like boom, Yes, that one. Oh, nice. <laughs> that was that was everybody's song. It was Ferris Bueller and Secret of My Success and a bunch of other movies too. And it was just like all the time, everywhere. And it was really cool, but no one really you know, listen to it or it didn't come on the radio a bunch. It just, everyone had a cassette recording of it that they would just play once in a while when they felt like it. Yeah. That's funny. I felt like it was so ubiquitous in movies, but I don't remember hearing it on the radio, but it was just like, you hear that song and like something cool and maybe a little bit naughty is about to happen. (laughs) Or really kind of any of those Gen X high school songs, you know, like, don't forget about me. I mean, I guess I'm literally thinking about songs that ended movies about Gen X kids, but mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, uh, "Hold Me Now" by that I don't know by that one '80s band, Thompson Twins. Thompson Twins. You know, just kind of one of those. I I think totally it'd just be one of those '80s songs that are kind of meaningful and you know not completely rock, and it would just end the movie that way. Mm-hmm. That would that would be that would be the movie about. Us in my town. Nice. Well, let's talk a little bit about the fashion. And it doesn't have to just be limited to this track, just movie overall. 
which character's fashion stood out to you the most and why? Doesn't have to be in a good way, could be in a bad way. Oh wow. Uh uh Pink's Well, God, I don't know. Okay, as a as a young adult, how pink dressed, that was me. Blue jeans and oh, yeah? and button up shirt, you know, long sleeve but rolled up, a couple of buttons undone on top and bottom, just kind of very casual and kind of big and loose. But it was the nineties, mm-hmm. it was sort of grungy, but that was you know, not the what people were wearing that were not wearing flannel. Kind of. Mm-hmm. Um back in the seventies. I mean, I literally had Pentagon's Kiss shirt with the iron-on, you know, Kiss Destroyer album cover. I literally mm-hmm. owned that shirt, so that really stood out to me when I saw it. <laughs> that was, uh, that was in that, you know, in that time period when we were all we would all order our our iron-on patches to to put on our shirt, or our mom would do it for us, and it would last two yeah. washings. <laughs> <laughs> right, it's a good look though; it gives them more texture. Yeah, but it's you know as far as identifying, definitely how pink dressed. That's that most of my adult life. That's kind of how I dressed: jeans and a and a loose button-up shirt. Um, so I immediately felt an affinity for him. Plus, I kind of had long hair, you know. <clears throat> oh, cool. Yeah, that's a hundred percent pink. What about well, you? What were you? Uh, have you answered this question one hundred and forty-three times so far? I've answered it a couple of times and then I've also had to come back and defend my position because one of the things that I said that I liked early on was Don's overalls. And then that happened to be something that some guests picked out as what they didn't like. Like, what's up with the overalls? So, yes, I stand by my position. I like those country bumpkin touches. And and I also like Parker Posey's flared jeans with the rainbow fabric <laughs> insert. Nice. Those are nice. really fly too. <laughs> those are great. I love those. Uh, but wow, really, the bib overall thing—that was such a '90s girl thing. Even in oh the, yeah, I mean, have one one strap undone. In the. Uh... When I was growing up, I guess, I guess I don't know this about you. Um, Jarf, how, what, like what period of time did you grow up in? The eighties. In the eighties. Okay. Wow. So you're, you're a kid in the eighties or you're a teenager in the eighties? Teenager in the eighties. Oh, okay. So we're both kind of from the same time period. Yep. Huh. In my town, the, the bib overall thing was kind of a, kind of a country guy thing and not like, not like the cool fashionable urban cowboy thing, but like. The people who come to school kind of smelling like poop because they just got done doing chores and had to get right on the school bus. Yeah. That was literally that's, like what those guys were. That's valid. <laughs> but yeah, and I grew up in. It. I mean, kind of in the 90s when you were a teen, those things were kind of, you know, that Genco, that sort of, I don't know what to call it. That was sort of cool, I thought. Or, or if I didn't, if I didn't think it myself, in the. You know, in society, that was kind of a cool look for people. See, I didn't really embrace Country Bumpkin in high school because I went to high school, as I've said before, in rural central PA. Okay. So, Oh, wow. So, yeah. Okay. I was a punk in central PA trying to define my identity. And part of that, because country music was so pervasive, it was like the achy, breaky heart era of life. 
And so I was trying to define myself in opposition to that. And it wasn't until later, like after I graduated, after I went to college and moved to Philadelphia with my now wife and now living in the city far from far from the country far from central pa but still a country bumpkin at heart i found that i was kind of seeking out that kind of country vibe so i volunteered at a community garden teaching kids to grow vegetables and we would you know take long walks in the park and so and just more and more i found okay you know i like to live near the city and i'd like to have that access to culture but i still really like being outdoors and and digging my hands in the dirt and so that was around the time that i was like you know what over you know these dawn overalls they just feel right <laughs> that's awesome I don't know why you had to defend that. That's 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 perfect. <laughs> well, I think that I was starting to ask. We talked about some different versions for slow ride. How do you feel like slow ride works for this final scene and and as the credits roll? Well, it's I mean it's pretty much perfect for for this movie for sure. Um, it was. You know, they're going down the road. It's it's early morning. They've made it all the way through the night without falling asleep. Um, they're all smoked out. You can just tell, you know, like, what's his face, his eyes? What's his name? Uh, Slater. Slater's eyes. They're just they're just smoked out. Every little bit is just gross. And it's, and it's morning, and they're just driving, and they don't really have a place to go. And they're, they're probably having a conversation about you know, where they're going to find breakfast at this time of morning so that they can just stop drinking and stop smoking and just get something to eat and chill out. And it's just a super casual song to fade out on, which is, you know, different than different than American Graffiti, where the last thing you saw was uh, an overhead shot. You actually get to go in intimately with the characters and watch them just smiling and having enjoyed a great night and it, it just fades out. I, I don't really have good words for it, but the way the way it does that fade out to that song is just it just says everything about that moment. Yeah. Yeah. I, th I, I think, think it's the most well perfectly said. placed song in the movie, actually. Like when I think of the movie, that fade out is the moment that I think of. Ooh, now that now that is a tough question because You've got the needle drop of sweet emotion to start things off. I know, I know. And then, then you've got why can't we be friends? I think it's because, you know, as a, as a junior high and as a high schooler, car, as part of the car thing in our life, we used to just sneak out of our houses, you know, at night and just leave and go cruising and, and go get in. I mean, we had so many nights just like this. In fact, this exact night is basically the same night that my my class had as eighth graders when we got out of eighth eighth grade when we got out of uh junior high we had this you know rager that started at someone's farm and then we got some illicit kegs and took them out to this camping place you know out in the middle of the woods and we had a bunch of kegs out there 
and we just kind of, you know, dodged cops and drove around and got drunk and everything. It was like, it was probably like the defining party of the, <laughs> the people in my grade, of the people that were my age in this town, that eighth grade, uh, that eighth grade party. That's probably what you'd center the movie around. Yeah, it, it'd be, right? it'd be a, it'd be a party, it'd be a story about eighth graders. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's your moon tower. Yeah, yeah, yeah I, exactly. Yep. I dig that. And as you talk about driving around, so Central PA, we didn't really have anywhere to go, so we would just drive around just to drive. Yeah. And so my version of this song would be "Running Down a Dream" by Tom Petty, because <gasps> I used to just like put in that cassette and just drive around till I got lost, and then find my way home again. Yeah, that is kind of perfect. Yeah. Wow, running down a dream would be another great way to end this movie if it were if it were you know time period uh, specific, right? Right. Man. That would be a little bit too late for for the for the story of my life, but wow, that's a that makes me jealous that I'm not a little bit younger. So that could be the song. <laughs> 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 no, but that you know that thing where you are a teenager. And you don't really have rules. You're not really getting in trouble anymore for coming home late. So now the challenge isn't trying to avoid getting in trouble with your parents. It's trying to avoid getting in trouble with your friends. Because if you fell asleep before before sunrise, you were lame. And so now your answer... You know what my friends in high school used to say? <laughs> so if someone either was like hey, I don't want to drink anymore, or like, hey, I'm kind of tired. Can we go home? Or I'm just done. They would say, you know what your problem is, man? You got no arms. You can't hang. (laughs) Okay. I don't, you know, I don't know that anyone, I don't know that anyone ever really, like, tried to get out of it. I think it was just always, everyone just always kept going all the time. Yeah. I guess we were a bit softer. (laughs) No, it's not really about softer because, I mean, we did some dangerous stuff. We we got some alcohol poisoning. I'm I'm quite sure there were many times I personally had alcohol poisoning and just happened to live because nobody yeah. recognized it, you know, as like we need to go to the hospital. And I'm not just talking about me. I mean, just lots of people. That was just a thing. And uh, you would just keep overdoing. Yeah, you would just keep overdoing it and overdoing it and overdoing it. I wanted to circle back to one thing really quickly, even though the moment has passed. You mentioned the overhead shot. Oh, sure. Yeah. In com- And the overhead shot in this track, when they are just, you know, looking down at the car, yeah. that was Linklater's first helicopter shot. That shot made me so nostalgic for all of the movies from 1976. I don't know if he did that on purpose or what, but every car chase movie that you had, all of the... All of the, you know, Burt Reynolds movies and all of the, all of the Gumball 2000, all of those car racing movies, they had the helicopter shot, right? Of the thing happening, mm-hmm. vanishing point, all of them. And it was always a little shaky. You're using a long lens right. from high up and it's a little shaky. And they had that same thing going on with this. And it was just like instant flood of nostalgia. Like, like when we get done talking tonight, I'm probably going to go watch one of those movies. Nice. Scary Mary and whatever with the explosion at the end where they hit the railroad, all that stuff. Um, yeah, but that shot in particular just really was like, oh, I'm so glad I got this. It was something about it just really made it seem like a 70s movie. Well, it seems like we got you on the right track, man. <laughs> yeah. Well, okay. 
Now, I want to give you time to plug what you're working on, but listeners, as I promised, a little bit more about the bonus tracks. So what we're going to do is we're going to do one per episode tracks looking at some handpicked other Linklater films that either thematically tie into Dazed and Confused or offer an interesting comparison. And so we're going to kick that off with what's been called the spiritual sequel to Dazed and Confused, Everybody Wants Some, and that's going to be with returning guest James Anderson. So those are going to be monthly episodes in your feed, the first Friday of the month, starting February, 2-3-23. So once again, don't delete us. Stay tuned for that. They're going to be real fun conversations. And I just wanted to thank everybody for listening to the show. It's been so fun. I really enjoyed talking to all the guests and hearing just their different high school hijinks. Curtis, you're definitely no exception. And it's just been a blast. So thanks again. And Curtis, why don't you tell our listeners, you know, where they can find you online. And if you wanted to tell a little bit more uh, about your podcast. The podcasts are mainly movies by minute style podcasts because I love talking about movies for a long time for every single minute. Uh, (laughs) The one I'm really proud of, the one I love the most that we're almost finished with. We're actually almost finished with both. We're like in the home stretch of recording them all um, is the Better Off Dead Minute with my friend Jason. Uh, I love, love, love that one. Also, Time Bandits Minute. We are wrapping up. We've had some real heavy hitter guests, and it's been fun to talk to all of them. And then, uh, I don't know, the third thing is if, you, if you're very specifically interested in a very specific geographic part of the country in northwest Iowa, p- half of one county, uh, check me out at thesacknews.com. <laughs> Something for everybody. <laughs> it's been so fun being on Jar. Thanks. Well, thanks for joining us. Yeah, this has been awesome. Not to worry, there's a new fiesta in the making. Join us at the Moon Tower, our Facebook listeners group. Until next time, just keep living, man. L-I-V-I-N. The Scavengers Network. Creator-driven. Community-focused. Treasured content.